welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I am your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me tonight for our one-year anniversary show is Josh Cacho. Josh, happy anniversary. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure for these last this last year. Like I said, it's crazy to think how quickly time has flown by, but it, um, at the same time, like I said, it's been fun, um, and we look forward to continuing to do it going forward. Absolutely. Um, it has been. It's cool for me, especially, I feel, because uh, living in Arizona, there's not a whole lot of LAFC fans around. And living in the small town in Arizona that I live in, there's even fewer, uh, namely six of us in my house. That's it. Uh, so it's good to be able to connect with people. Um, thank you to the listeners who are always tweeting in questions to the show, uh, engaging with us on Twitter. Um, it's been a blast and it's been a cool way for me to to connect with the LAFC community, even though I'm 500 miles away. Um, Josh, any, any reflections over this past year that you have? I mean, we've definitely learned a lot. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Like, yeah, you know, I think going into it, you know, I knew a decent amount, but I think because of the conversations that we have and, you know, obviously some of the questions that the listeners do kind of bring up to us, um, it forces us to, to look with a different eye and to kind of make sure that we're paying attention to things that we mean I may not have seen previously. So, you know, like I said, in, you know, beyond the, the, the friendships we've made and all these different things, the, you know, on top of that, like I said, it's also just made us better looking at things from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I love most is when listeners will give us things to look for in the match. So like after the instant reaction or during the instant reaction, they'll say, you know, what what do you guys think about this? So when I go back, because I rewatch every game in preparation for the in-depth analysis, um, I love having things to look for. And that's one thing that the, the having the show has been able to, it, it kind of like gives me homework while I'm watching these, these games over again. And like you said, it helps me to learn, it helps me to focus on different things that I may not have paid attention to uh, previously. So I've, I've had a lot of fun. Um, for your listening pleasure, we secured our biggest interview yet. We have Vince LaRosa on the show today. Uh, he'll be joining us in just a few minutes. Um, really excited to have him on. It's it's kind of serendipitous timing in that uh, it's our one-year anniversary. I guess, to, I guess technically we're one day over. Uh, our first episode came out on July 25th. And I believe that may have been in El Trafico. Yeah, it was. I have to go back and look, but I think <clears throat> that was the first time we we did. I think we kind of talked about it, and then we decided, all right, this is this is what we want to get started with. Obviously, we'll we'll start with the bang. Um, so Vince is coming on, and we have a handful of questions to ask him. Hopefully, we can uh, get some get some more insight from somebody who's a little bit closer to the club than we are. Um, and I, I'm sure it's going to be a a fantastic interview. I'm excited. Uh, anything before we before we bring him on here, Josh? No, I don't think so. Let's get right to it. All right, let's get into it. All right, we are back, and we have, as mentioned before, a very special guest, Vince LaRosa, who is one of the most famous names, I'd say, on LAFC Twitter and in LAFC circles. Vince, how are you? Oh man, you're too kind. I, I'm great. Uh, I do wish that, uh, you know, obviously I was uh, making my name more famous in those LFC circles and that I was coming on here um, 
you know, as an LFC guy still, but I'm happy to talk LFC as much as I can. And, uh, you know, this has been a long time coming because I've, I've enjoyed chatting back and forth with you guys. So I'm really glad that uh, I'm able to come on. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled to have you. I will admit to the listeners that uh, I think this is our biggest guest. No disrespect to the other guests that we've had, but um, I've been I've been eyeballing a, a visit for Vince for quite a while. So we're thrilled to have you. Um, Vince, obviously MLS is back. Tournament is going on. LAFC is, is through to the next round after a somewhat disappointing result against Portland. What have you thought of their performance so far in the tournament? You know, I had the rare opportunity of like taking a step back from everything. I actually didn't. Portland is the first game that I did not watch uh, while it was going. Um, I actually did it the next morning. That's the first of any LFC game. Even I, I think I missed one game in the inaugural season where I didn't write takeaways. And oddly enough, it was Portland. It was at Portland. Um, and it was because oh, no my kidding. significant other. Yeah, my significant other was graduating Berkeley. But while she was getting ready, uh, I had the game on. So I was still watching. Um, but I didn't put takeaways together that day because after, after the game was over, it was all about the graduation. Um, but to get back to what I was saying, it, it gave me a chance to kind of uh, do exactly this and, and just kind of look at the tournament as a whole. Um, and what I thought was, and, I, and you can see it kind of on my Twitter and I won't rehash it too much, but there, there's two things that I really think that LAFC really need going forward and stuff that, as I kind of legislated out, it's expected because this is only like a third game of a, a preseason redo. Um, I really thought that sharpness and speed are two things that were especially lacking in that Portland game. Um, and we've seen moments where you literally can kind of see the rust coming off. I, I think the Galaxy game is a great example where they really grew into that game. Uh, Houston, I thought they were pretty good throughout, to be honest with you. It's just they made some really bad mistakes that, you know, each time they seem to make a mistake, it was a goal for Houston. I think Houston had five shots on target, three goals. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. It's almost never going to happen in a match. Um, but Portland was the game where like they, they were in it throughout. Obviously there was another, you know, sharpness lapse where they make a mistake. Latif is just, you know, he's not a right back per se. He's doing better in that position, but turns off for that moment. And that's really kind of egregious in that moment. Cause you got to know the, the ball really ha only has one place to go. You got to move mm -hmm. over. You got to shift. Um, but the Portland game, what I saw was passes that weren't, where they were supposed to be or they weren't on time. And, and this team uh, is, is such a kind of a mechanism in that way where everything's timed and everything's so close and razor sharp that when it doesn't work, um, LAC can still do some things and they, they proved they, they were up two to one in that game for a while. Um, but they just don't look what we're used to seeing and they look a little like plotting. Um, and that's what I kind of saw from them was there were so many times where, you know, you get somebody like Diego or, or Brian, and instead of getting the ball on the run, they're getting the ball and they're, they're doing the street ball where they're squaring up a defender and they're like, Hey, I'm going to take them one V one. You can only rely on that so many times. I mean, that's not a good thing to go back to the well for. Um, so for me, it's been just kind of shaking off the rust and then really finding that focus through 90 minutes and that fitness through 90 minutes. Yeah. I'm glad you said that about Diego and, and Raito getting the ball like that. I really feel like uh, Brian Rodriguez has been put in some tough positions where he receives the ball too far back and is kind of forced into this 1v1 situation. And I don't know that he has the confidence yet to just go at people and, you know, blow by them. I think, I think Rossi is a little more comfortable in that he's one move and go where mm -hmm. you really see Brian being a little more hesitant, um, trying to like almost as if he's working through like, all right, what move should I put on this guy right now? Um, mm -hmm. Is it, do you see that in his game, or do you think he's he's just still settling in? What's your what's your take on him? 
You know that, yeah, I mean, the, the match, I think, against Portland didn't give him the chance to do things that he was doing really well against the Galaxy. And even, like I said, to an extent against Houston. Um, he, yeah, he was finding moments where he couldn't either stretch to the defense or we didn't have enough control of the ball where you could, you know, they love that pass where you slot it in between the center back and the fullback and the, you know, you got your outside, your wide forward just crashing in in that diagonal run. Um, and But against Portland, yeah, there was too many moments where Brian was – having to just kind of sit back um, and start from a flat standstill. And I would agree with you. He's not, he's more, he, he's so quick and he's so deceptive in his quickness that it, I, I've always said it kind of fools himself where sometimes when he gets by a guy, he's not really under control. He gets by him because he's just, he's so powerful. He can cut hard. He's, he's pretty agile. Um, but then he doesn't know what's coming next. Whereas Diego, like you said, one move go, or it's a play make um, it's a link up with teammates. And Brian found a few moments in the Portland game where he could, you know, work off teammates knowing that, hey, I'm going 1v1 all this time. I'm going 1v2 from 30, 40 yards out. This is not going to work for me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I would, I would 100% agree that he needs to maybe in those moments pass up those opportunities, recycle, uh, move a little farther up the pitch um, because, yeah, we need him getting the ball at the most 30 yards out from goal. You, when you're doing now 30 and plus – you're, you're asking a lot of a, a player that's that's still uh, finding ways to be really comfortable finishing. Because even if he gets by a guy, is he going to have that presence of mind to, to finish? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we know that he wasn't, you know, some prolific scorer when he was at Peñarol. Um, but I, I would like to, I, I, I do wonder if he's going to be able to improve on his finishing a little bit and be able to, to provide a little more, especially if Diego is going to be leaving in the next year or so. Um, mm-hmm. If he's going to be able to, to fill in for some of that production, Josh, do you have something here? Well, I mean, I, when you see how he plays for Uruguay, right. For example, like he typically is playing on, on the left side of a four, four, two on the left side of the midfield and tends to kind of float inside and be a little bit more of a creator underneath the two um, underneath the two strikers. And so I think you started to see that a little bit in the Galaxy game, right, where he was able to create underneath BWP and, and Diego and make these kind of, you know, make these passes and see, you know, and just anticipate where those guys are going to make their runs. Whereas in this game, because of the way that Portland sets up in that Christmas tree formation, it kind of felt like it was negating a little bit of what he does best, right? Because you kind of just have Diego Chara sitting underneath, just kind of blowing everything up you know, doing what he does best, usually, you know, sticking a boot in someone's ankle. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, you know, like you said, it's it's sometimes you wish we had a little bit of that on our own side at times, um, you know, not taking anything away from Atuesta, by the way. But um, against, is is that, does it seem like he's he is more of that facilitator type or is it more of that, you know, like I said, I think we've gotten used to, our wingers being our inside forwards doing the majority of the scoring war as our, our actual number nine has been more of the facilitator. Now mm-hmm. it seems like we have a guy that's going to facilitate from the outside in. I, I mean, you've, you've seen him more close up. Is that kind of more his game or is he that, that again, more of the inside forward type? Well, I, I think his game really is. He's the guy that you either want on the end of the pass or he's the second to last pass. I, I'll say that against the galaxy. I, I liked his playmaking ability, but it was always in kind of unbalanced situations and you know, you still got to give him credit because he was able to see, especially on the Diego Rossi hat trick goal, um, the ability to make that next pass. He could have easily taken that one V one and he might've scored. It was actually almost kind of 
uh, different side of the field, but almost similar to the goal he scored against the United States in that friendly where, you know, he, he just took it all the way, he drove, put his head down, drove and just ripped a shot um, and blasted it past the keeper. But in this moment, he, he realized, and this is something that Brian is still part of his game that he's working on is that, that patience and, and the ability to seize the moment and find the best, uh, best decision for his team. So I, I like that aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, with Uruguay, there's so many times where, again, he's, he's picking up balls 20, 18, 20 yards from goal. And he's having, just having to take a touch and shoot or take a touch and lay off to obviously one of their great forwards or, or you know, even even a guy like, you know, Rodrigo Betancourt and, and stuff like that. They've got such such talent that they can crash the box. But, yeah, he, he, he's really a guy to me that if you're relying on him to be a playmaker, you're going to be – you're not going to find the, the right balance. Um, but he does still need to find his way to, you know, it's going to be on him to find his way into those shooting opportunities like Diego does. So Diego finds so many opportunities within the 18 euro box and Brian's still learning that, Hey, when, when your fullback beats a man, you got to go, go and get in the box, be there and be ready. Don't wait. Um, I, I, I would encourage people to watch that. Watch Brian off the ball a little bit. See if he's arriving in the box when you think he should. Sometimes he's not even getting in there and that's, I know for sure that that is something they really want him to do more of it. The more opportunities, the more chances you can get touches in the box, clearly the more you can score. So it's, it's, it's an obvious thing, but it's hard to ingrain in players that uh, they play a certain way and they always want to have the ball. Right. Right. Great stuff. Vince. Thank you. Um, I th- hopefully this puts some, put some people at ease. I know, I know as Twitter frequently does, Twitter is starting to melt down over the whole situation. Uh, I don't, me, I don't, me and Josh both and I like don't him, understand but. it. Yeah. I, I, again, I got the chance to watch the game after and I, I every once in a while, uh, check in on my Twitter while I was not watching the game. And I, I just kept seeing people say something about Brian. And I was like, okay, well, when I watch it, I'll keep out for this. And I honestly, in that match, I, I understand you, you want to score goals. You want to win that match against your rival, but I did not see a moment where let me say this. I didn't see a moment where there was Brian against Philadelphia with that last second chance uh, in that three-three draw at Bank. Right. Um, that's where maybe I say, Brian, you, I, I know you. I know you're good enough to finish those. Um, I didn't see any of those opportunities. So yeah, I'm a little baffled by some of it too. But I understand there's a, t- a price tag, um, and then you know we we're used to uh, a certain level of play, and, and that's credit to the team. But I also understand as a fan, sometimes you're just like it's just so frustrating, gets bottled up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point, too, about, you know, he's been playing so much on the right wing lately. And uh, that's a those are some big boots to fill, right? <laughs> when you're coming oh, in for Carlos absolutely. Vela. So uh, he's he's in a tough spot. I you, The thing that I like about him is he has so much quality on the ball. Um, and it, it just kind of oozes from him in just the way that he does everything. A lot of people made a, a lot of noise about the in the Galaxy game. There's a you know, like a 60 yard ball from Atuesta and he just like brings it down so casually cutting it back at the same time. And his ability to do small things like that. So effortlessly or what give me hope, like, look, this kid is 19. He's just got to put it together. And when he does, it's going to be fantastic. So. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot you, I mean, I hate this saying, but there's a lot he has that you can't teach. Um, and, and, And it's that touch. It's that speed. And like you said, you, you looked at his record. If you look at his record, he was not a goal scorer prior to this. Obviously, then he jumps into the Uruguay national team, starts scoring goals, which kind of gives people hope that he's just going to be this guy that's going to score 20, 30 goals in a season. 
Um, but I, you know, if he was that finished product, I hate to break it to you, but he's not coming to LAFC. He's going straight right. to Europe. Um, yep. So yeah, there's still work to be done. Yeah. All right. Well, good. So there you have it, everybody. Just be patient. He's going to get there. Um, Vince, I would say that you know the team and Bob much better than we do, uh, which is to say you know them <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> so my question for you is what is their mindset going into this? I, I, I'm looking at it as a rematch, right? You're going into another playoff setting against Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. What's going through Bob's mind? How is he preparing the team to face this challenge? Yeah, I think he'll be playing back the game a little bit. Bob is meticulous about his his study of teams. And, and what I've actually found interesting about Bob studying teams is he doesn't study them in order to change the game plan per se. It's just to find little wrinkles in the tactics. Um, and I never, until I came to this team and really worked with Bob and talked with him day in and day out, I never quite understood that because I always thought, you know, I, I love tactics. I love, you know, kind of the Italian manager that, changes formation within a match and does this and this. But the more I talk to players, the more they were like, yeah, that's not really what we want to do. We want, we want to have an identity. Um, and we want to be able to go 100 miles an hour in that identity, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think for Bob, and, and it's not going to be sex, a sexy answer, but he's going to say, we got to play our football. <laughs> Guaranteed he's going to yeah, say right. that. <laughs> and, and that's going to be important. Now, why I say I, I, that I guarantee he's going to be really looking at that matches in that match against Seattle. And, and I think all three of us would agree, we're probably going to see a similar Seattle setup to that match. It was, it's um, it was such a tactic that um, is recreatable um, and it fits kind of Seattle style of play. Um, you know, they, they come out of that fourth, four, two, three, one. Um, mm-hmm. They have some dynamic wingers that are athletic. But what they get to do and what Schmetzer got them to do um, in that match especially, and, I, and they do it well, is convince those wingers that, hey, you're going to have to drop back. Um, and you're going to drop back deep. And you're going you're gonna to have to sometimes be well in our half and to, to help us out, to help double uh, LAFC's dangerous players out in the wings, whether it's uh, Diego Rossi and Brian, or obviously in that instance, it was Carlos uh, out wide a lot of that match. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to be defensively more like a deep four, four, one, one. Um, we're going to try to double in those areas when they try to break inside, we're going to try to either, you know, win the ball off them and then immediately counter, or we're going to, you know, foul them. I mean, it's, it, let's just put it yeah. the way it is. It's, it's a tactic that the teams use Portland is, is probably the most synonymous with it. Um, but Seattle's more than willing to, to trade some fouls, uh, in areas because, for the most part, they're pretty solid uh, in set pieces. So I think they would rather say, all right, if you get by me, I'll, I'll, I'll restart from a standstill as opposed to having a, a, you know, a move in defense where now we're, guys are not plugging the right gaps. Uh, and then the other flip side of it is uh, the, that battle between uh, Nico Ladero and Edward Atuesta. Uh, Nico Ladero is going to, he's going to stay in, in, def- in their defensive posture. He's probably going to stay close to Edward because he knows that the second they turn them over, He's going to want to try to get beyond Edward and create a two v two situation, or even a two v three with him and Rui Diaz, and then one of those wingers that's going to be able to come late because they both have great speed in Jordan Morris um, and whoever's on the other side. It, it, at this point, it doesn't actually really matter. They kind of always play the same way. Um, so for Bob, he's got to remind his guys that hey, we play our games, but if this is the way that the Sounders set up, you know where the gaps are. You know where there there might be spaces to play into. So let's be smart when we're working from outside to inside 
and not get turned over in those ways when we're going horizontally because they're just going to hit right to the they're going to you know find their out man and they're going to they're just going to go and that's what they did so well um i would say you know i think all three of their goals were almost exactly the way we kind of just scripted it right there from from that uh western conference final so that's that's where he's going to tactically say be smart about this but everything else it's going to be more of the same man they're going to press high um they're gonna they're gonna try to counter press I, I know that he'll tell them the one thing he didn't like in the Portland game, and you heard it in his uh, his interview in the first half, was don't play so many long passes. It's hard. It's very hard to, especially on the ground, to counter press a thirty yard pass on the ground. Um, yeah. So I think they're gonna they're gonna want to be sharper about that because Seattle, like Portland, is gonna try to make you pay when you try to go inside to outside, um, and they pick you off through through the middle because they're gonna they're just gonna keep those two uh, defensive midfield. They're two holding midfielders. They're gonna just tell them. Man, don't go. I, I would I would be surprised if they go wider than the width of the uh, of the half circle in the 18. I mean, they're just going to stand right in front of their center backs. Um, and I would say that the center backs are probably their one weakness because really all those guys can do is just hit you. I mean, they're physical, but I don't think they're very technical per se. Right, right. Josh, do you have a question here? <clears throat> yeah, Vince. We speaking of what, kind of what you were talking about. One of the things that obviously the Twitter has melted down over over the last few games is our quote-unquote defensive issues. And mm-hmm. I think the way that you know you were talking about, like how we attack, how we look at those things, and how Seattle's likely to uh, try and to approach and, and counterattack and go after our, the way that we play. Um, you know, I you know Kirk and I had always talked about it. We don't think it's actually an issue of the our center backs playing bad defense or anything like that like they i we we were more of the more of the thought that they're getting put in bad positions because of what's happening through the middle of the park um could you explain a little about just a little bit more about you know kind of that what the thought process is there you know because Mm -hmm. again that that seems to be the thing that you always hear it's oh the defense oh the defense but i'm not really sure what those guys are supposed to do when you know we have our fullbacks pushed up, and then now you have Dehan having to go into a full sprint just to make a you know an, an amazing tackle at the last minute. You know again, he, in, and again he's he's being asked to do things that I'm not sure you know mm-hmm. he's you know he's really in position to do regularly. Yeah, Dehan's definitely a lightning rod for a lot of people. I mean, I go back and forth with people all day that say Dehan's slow, and I, I like I've literally seen the data from training, and Dehan is not slow. You'd be surprised the, some of the players that he's actually faster than. Now, do you want Dayon making 10, uh, you know, code red sprints? No, no, absolutely not. But if he has to do two or three a match, he he can. And and he's actually grown into this spot. He's still has that tendency. And we saw it, uh, you know, against the Galaxy with the, the penalty gave up. The, the Dayon that we kind of know, leaving a foot, being a little bit lazy, not using his footwork. It's there. But for the most part, he's been very solid. And I agree 100% with you guys. There's, there's no such thing really as defense and offense per se for LAFC. And I understand why it gets difficult for people because defenders defend, attackers attack. I get that. Um, But the way the game is played now, for the most part, um, teams don't just simply drop back into like a half court set um, and then say, okay, you attack, now we attack. There's, There's transition moments for every team. And that's whether you have the majority of the ball or not. So what LAFC wants to do is say, okay, we're more than happy to give give some transition moments because we think we're athletic. Uh, we think we know we're, we're smart in our positioning and the way we counterbalance, um, you know, where the ball is and the way we offensive mark to get close to guys. 
Um, but we're going to do it so that we can continue to create. We can win the ball back over and over again, and we can create our own transition moments because when you have the ball and you're playing against a team that sits back, it's hard to get transition moments unless you're doing it through a counter press, unless you're, you're, you're basically losing the ball and then winning it back when that team's trying to, trying to flood out of the zone. So for LAFC, it's, it is about, you know, I wouldn't say that it's not all about not getting your fullbacks too high because there is chances when, you know, someone like a cheeky or, you know, a Tristan, they have to recognize, okay, what's the risk reward here. And also as the ball is traveling to a different location on the pitch, am I, should I be going forward or should I be going backwards? Should I be dropping into the line of three to, to give some extra help to my, to my center backs just in case we turn over. So I think what we're seeing is Bob Bradley gives his players a lot of leverage into the, the decision-making. Um, I think a lot of the errors have come based off individual errors. Um, and, and they're things that are just, they're not set up wise where a team's like, Oh, we can pick this out and do this all day. I know, uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, Matt Doyle especially, and I, I respect him, but this idea of just hit those blind balls to the to your high winger. Okay, is your high winger always there? Like, I that, that just doesn't seem like an actual tactic to me. I mean, you could try it. Uh, uh, Houston tried it a little bit, um, and actually, you know, it works on one goal uh, where Tristan doesn't. He lets a guy inside of him, but their tactic of just sending it long to Albert Helis, like that was the most controlled game that LAFC actually had, despite a three-three draw. They controlled the, that game throughout, and they were more than willing to say, fine, you want to hit to that guy? Well, then Eddie Segura is already going to be there, or hopefully Cheeky's there. So there's there's a trade-off, but we see this with every great team in the world. You you got to decide what your trade-off is. Are you are you Atletico Madrid, and you say our trade-off is this? We're not going to give up any big chances, but we're going to allow maybe 10, 11 shots per game, and we're going to deal with it that way, and then we're going to get in the space behind. Or are you a Liverpool, Man City, and you're going to say – all right, there's probably going to be two chances, maybe three, if we're if we're playing well, where that other team's going to have like a pretty big chance in terms of maybe like your XG or whatever, however you want to describe that big chance. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to have 20 shots on target, and we're just going to we're going to bleed them to death by just getting, you know, chance after chance of semi-biggish. Um, obviously, you you want to get your you know your 40% chances, but if you start piling up a bunch of 30% chances against teams and you're not letting them out of their end something's going to break. And especially in this league, we have so much talent up top. Something's going to break. It, it just, I, I think you just got to kind of look at it from Bob looking at the whole landscape of, uh, of the league and saying, this is, this is the way that we can have the most success. Is it going to work hundred percent of the time? Absolutely not. This is a league of parity, but we think that it's going to give us the most, uh, the best chance to win. And on top of it, like I always say to people, isn't this the team that you want to watch? I mean, as frustrating as it can be to lose games, don't you want to see the team going 100 miles an hour and, and taking a ton of shots and having the ball? You can't really half it. I mean, you don't want to do a mid-block and just get you know cut up or and be Swiss cheese and then still have uh, you know space in behind. So that's that's kind of my argument for it. I don't think I've won over a ton of people, but I will I will continue hitting my head against the wall and saying it because smarter people than me are saying similar things to me, um, and I yeah. believe that that's probably the way forward. Well, Vince, I, mean, I want to thank you real quick. I know Josh has another question here. I want to thank you for bringing up the diagonal ball to the winger isn't necessarily a tactic uh, because anytime I can bring up Greg Berhalter, I I will. Uh, I think this is like Greg Berhalter's gift to American soccer. I think it was also unintentional, but he loves that diagonal ball, right? So as soon as uh, he took over and the USMNT started trotting out these uh, 
these number sixes who were capable of hitting that ball, I feel like that spread like wildfire throughout, like through every American soccer fan. Uh, that's all anybody could talk about. So, yeah. And uh, I'm, a, I, look, I'm a fan of sending that ball once in a while, but at what cost? You know what I mean? Like, right, what right. is what is the point of of that being your actual like default? Like, hey, get on the ball, pick your head up, and then you're gonna send a sixty yard ball only to get like a one v one. Right. That I mean, like that's. A, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, what's the risk reward there? Like, what what are you actually getting from yeah. that that tactic? So that's that's what drives me a little bit crazy. Like, send that sometimes. Look, if you got Carlos Bella already on a sprint and there's there's thirty yards of space in front of, him, yeah, send that ball. But if you're switching from your fullback to your six and then just sending it out to a winger. Okay. Isn't there another way you could do that? Right. Right. And for me, it's like when the way that ball is played, if it's not coming from the foot of Pirlo or Javi or, or somebody of that quality, that ball is going to float for so long that by the time it gets there, like you said, it's a 50, 50 at best. Um, Yeah. And so, and then what? At- and what about the guy on the other end? Like, is he able to? Do you have guys that are able right. to move on the run? So, I, mm. I think we're yeah, we're one hundred percent on agreement on that. Yeah, right, right. All right, Josh, you had you had another question there. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, just to kind of ex- kind of expand on, like, I think to a certain degree, right? The question and the what we kind of see is that like that battle between you know Pep and and Mourinho from back in the day, right? It's like mm-hmm. that expansive style versus park the bus and win it win at all costs, but the discussion that Kirk and I have had lately as it regards to, you know, trying to figure out the way that Bob wants them to play, right? Is it Pep versus Jurgen Klopp in terms of how the mid, what the midfield role is, right? So mm-hmm. do, is the midfield, you know, cause when those fullbacks start pushing up, right? If in a Liverpool setup, those are their primary creators, you know, in mm-hmm. their, in their setup. So their midfield is really there just to kind of provide balance and to recycle the ball, right? They're not, occasionally they're going to pop up in, you know, you know, charge forward and, you know, pop up in the box, but more or less they're kind of sitting back versus Pep, you know, the, the, his two attacking eights or tens, whatever you want to call them are Mm -hmm. often in, you know, in the half spaces creating, you know, trying to slip balls into the wide forwards um, versus again, the Liverpool mold mold where you have the forwards pinched in tight, um, you know, inside, inside the box where the, and then have the midfield being more of like a set of platform for them to work off of. Then now providing that balance to, you know, that defensive balance. Is there one that you think that the team is more molded after? And, you know, and then with that in mind, defensively, is that something that we can now, is that like a responsibility that the midfield is supposed to have when the fullbacks are pushed up? Are they supposed to invert a little bit and play behind the, behind the fullbacks? Or are or is that a responsibility to crash the box kind of closer to more, like I said, of a uh, uh, Pep Man City style? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take that first question. I think, um, and you, you've probably seen it in many games, there, you don't see many opportunities where you get that kind of false fullback is kind of what you're talking about, where like Edward is going to drop into left back for Cheeky um, and create a line three. He'll do it from time to time, depending on the situation or if he thinks they're about to turn over. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that I think is one characteristic of Pep's game that we don't see much with LAFC. I think the LAFC is much more on the Liverpool side of, hey, midfielders, let's let's get crazy, let's get heavy metal, um, and let's go out there. And when, once we turn the ball over, you guys need to get it back as quickly as possible. Or at the very least, you need to direct the play in a way that allows the guys behind you. I think that's one important part of Bob's system that 
doesn't always get touched on is that first guy is not necessarily told to win the ball at all costs. He is told, though, to make sure that that guy that he's he's checking to is not getting an easy pass and not going around him easily. Um, so they want to direct guys because if they can direct you into another trap, that's still just as good. Um, now, as for like the kind of just team philosophy, Bob was playing with this idea during the break. Um, and, and he talked about it a lot on the Between Two Coaches when I was still there. And I really found it very interesting um, because he, when Bob brings something up and he gets very technical, it's like, you got to listen because he doesn't always do this. Um, he kept saying, he kept toying with the idea of where do you, where do you find that balance? And maybe can you be both teams at once? Like he really felt you could be both at once, um, but it would take just a, a supreme reading of the game. Um, and there's going to be mistakes and maybe that's what we're seeing. Um, but he felt that, you know, if there's a, he, he says this a lot, if it's time to go, we should be able to go in transition and be willing to be direct and make those balls and, and have those, have those opportunities. And if it's not, then yeah, that's when we settle into a more positional idea where, you know, you have runs that are calculated and you have runners ahead of the ball and you want to get maybe your midfielders to be a little bit more playmakers and maybe be in those half spaces because if they can get full control of the ball, head up, looking towards goal, at, you know, 30 yards out, man, who's going to be able to stay with Diego Rossi as he breaks off the edge? Or who's going to be able to, uh, you know, what are the center backs going to do when BWP drops in? You play that square ball, and now you're you got even more runners ahead. So, I think his idea, and and he he'll admit he's not sure if it will 100% work, but he's willing to try it because he thinks football is going in in these directions. He wants to have a team that that can do both. Um, and then that's not, again not trying to cop out, um, but that's really him him saying that he thinks if you have the right kind of players that can be dynamic and really read situations, you can know when it's time to go, and you can know when it's time to to get passes and. I think one of the great things about getting to hear LAFC on uh, when when they're on ESPN is the no crowd noise because you can hear when Bob will say passes passes. That's when he's trying to get them. In, hey, it's not a transition moment. Let's be a little more positional. Um, and then there will be other times where he, I think they were saying he was yelling speak the other day. He's yelling speed, like go at them with speed. Mm. Um, that's when he wants them to be a little bit more direct. Um, so yeah, just kind of keep an eye on, on on situations. And again, he leaves that onus on his players. He might at those breaks say, Hey guys, there was more opportunities or less opportunities. Um, but he's going to leave that onus on them to decide, okay, when can we go? When, when are we in a, in a position that if we, even if we go and we lose the ball, we'll be okay. And when can we say, Hey man, we've been going for so long, going so quick, let's get some passes together. And then let's like kind of readjust and just kind of settle in with the ball for a second. Awesome. Great stuff, Vince. Thank you. That's an incredible insight to be able to hear, like peel back the curtain a little bit and see what's going on in Bob's mind. Um, what I really loved there, what you when when you said it was, he's not really sure. He's willing to work this out. And another thing you said was, this is the team you want to watch, right? LAFC is the team in the tournament in the league that you want to watch. And I think that is a testament to Bob and that he's willing to try new things. It's not just some recycled, well, we're going to be Jose Mourinho's team parking the bus 7.0 right with whoever we got on the roster um so again thanks for thanks for the insight there you've been very generous with your time i think i asked you initially for 15 to 20 minutes we're at 32 minutes right now uh if i can steal you away for five more minutes we have a couple questions in like a lightning round just quick hitters if that's okay with you no let's do it all right tristan blackman center back or right back long term center back 
easy. Do you want me to expound on these questions or just go rapid fire with you? Uh, I mean, if you want to, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't uh, want to keep you longer than, than you promised for is all. Oh, yeah, no worries. Uh, Senator, I, well, at least with this one, because, you know, I'm, I'm president and member of the Tristan Blackman fan club. Um, center back, um, and I bring this name up often, and it, it freaks people out, just like when Bob brought up Messi with, uh, with Carlos. Sergio Ramos, uh, when you look at the type of plays he's able to make and the risks he's able to take and then the ability to, to get back um, and maybe, you know, bicycle kick uh, a clearance out of nowhere that a guy's almost in on, that's something that Tristan Blackman can do. And I would say there's probably three center backs in the entire league that can do that. Um, yeah. So his, his, his ceiling can be very high if he can continue um, to grow based off of what he really learned. Because midway through that second season, we still weren't sure on Tristan Blackman. But by the end of the season, man, he looked like an all-star. And I think if he takes another step forward, wow, you're really going to you're gonna see a player. And again, no deference to, to Walker Zimmerman, but um, he was not the best defender on LAFC when he left. Um, Eddie Segura had been the best defender throughout the season. Doesn't get the, the, you know, the attention that he should. Um, but coming up very close behind is Tristan Blackman. I think he's a very high ceiling in that position. Awesome. Awesome. I think if you are the president of the Tristan Blackman fan club, me and Josh are both vying for the VP spot and, uh, and the secretary Absolutely. spot as well. So more than uh, Mario. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, starting 11 for Seattle. Ooh, I think, um, if, if I'm being honest and if it was me and I'm, I was trying to get in Bob's brain a little bit, Jordan Morris has been pretty lights out. Um, been probably a top five player in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I think you probably see Tristan Blackman slot back into right back. Uh, you got Dayon and Eddie, Cheeky, um, your your general three, uh, which is Mark, Edward, and uh, Latif. And then, you know, your, your front three that we've come used to, BWP at the nine, Diego and, and Brian switching off. But I think that that one change is made just knowing that it's not that Latif can't be a good right back, but it might be a leap too far forward to ask him yeah. to, to try to focus for that long against a player like Jordan Morris. Right, right. Uh Regarding the midfield, how long before you think Francisco Janela is a permanent starter? You know, Francisco, he's, I think he cerebrally, he has the, he has the capacity to really know the game. The one thing I would say is he still seems a step behind in the counter press. Uh, We Mm -hmm. saw that kind of a lot with, with Portland. Um, So that's the one thing he has to learn, but that's also not necessarily part of his game. He's really, I think he really is a a six uh, and a a real true six. Um, and when you play him as an eight, it takes him a little time for his brain to kick on. Um, so if I had to really guess, it's going to take Edward Atwest to being sold. Ah, interesting point there. I like that. All right, next one regarding selling. You're doing all my transitions for me. Uh, no where worries. does Rosie go and for how much? And when do you think that'll be? Rosie goes somewhere in Italy because he has an Italian passport, which uh-huh. is at a premium. Um, and I think I'm going to say 18 million, 18. And is he going to, is, are, is Juve going to be willing to play him on the right wing opposite Ronaldo? You know, you make a good, <laughs> you make a good assessment because we, we talked about this off air. They need some speed at one of those wide. I, oh man. I remember complete side story. Obviously when, when Carlos was on fire and just going into the season, cause the, you know, they love transfer members. I saw somebody Photoshop a Juve jersey on Carlos, and I was like, that's something I thought I would never see in a million years, and it just it made me uh-huh. smile a little bit. 
I, I don't know. You know, Juve would be smart to try to get a bargain like that. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, last one here, Vince. Next DP position after Rossi is sold. I think it's going to have to be right. It's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, uh, another wide forward or forward type. We, you know, look, when we say forwards, they, they pretty much should all be interchangeable. And Diego's played a fair amount of uh, nine uh, mm-hmm. before the season stopped. Um, so I think, yeah, it's going to be another, I, I know a lot of people are like, we want a true number nine. I, I want to get in arguments and like, what does that mean? Wouldn't you rather just have a dynamic player that can play number nine as opposed to just scoring goals. And even when we've seen BWP, like he's not just banging in tappers. He's he's doing he's doing other things and he's dribbling the ball and he's taking guys one v one, yeah I just think it's it's a wide forward. There's it, one, uh, it would be a direct replacement, but two there's so much value in it. If you can get a wide yeah. forward at, at a good price, it's just the way the sport is going. Those wide forwards are then going for well above their uh, asking prices if they can put together a, a solid season or two seasons. So a money ball aspect there too. I like that. Yeah. All right, uh, Vince, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I don't know if we told you this is our one year anniversary episode. Um, so oh. this is like this is like perfect getting getting the big name like this. Um, Sweet, thank man. You so it's much my pleasure, time. guys. You were extremely generous with your time. We went way over the time that you had agreed to. So thank you so much. Uh, maybe one day in the future we'll do it again. Um, hashtag hire Vince. By the way, you want to you want to shout out your new pod and anywhere anywhere else you're working. Uh, yeah, so I've been contributing to uh, this new kind of startup called Goteca, and it's basically uh, a chance for uh, some guys around Fox and Fox Deportes to cover MLS, but also cover Liga MX in English, um, because there's definitely a need for that. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, go to goldteca.com. We're gonna I, I write some articles from time to time, and then obviously we have kind of star-studded pods with Kobe Jones, Mariano Trujillo, Rodolfo Landeros. We had uh, Cesar Hernandez, who's a great writer for if I named all the places, we'd be here for another 10, 15 minutes. Um, but they're putting together a real crack squad with a lot of good stuff. So definitely go there, check it out. Um, and other than that, yeah, just check out, you know, come come to my Twitter. It's it's still at LAFC Vince for the time being. We'll we'll see if that changes anytime soon. But yeah, hashtag our Vince. And uh, honestly, guys, I'm, I'm honored to be have been a part of your uh, one year anniversary pod. And, and I apologize if I, if I did go long winded because I, I know that long pods can sometimes uh, crash the, the listenership. So I hope I didn't do that for you on your guys' anniversary one. Oh, is, is that our problem that we just talked too long? Is that, is that why? Maybe that's the problem, Josh. That, there you go. That's what always gets told to me, man. I don't know. I, I always think if a conversation is <laughs> going the right way, people will listen. I mean, look, I, right. for what, whatever it's worth, there's a lot of podcasts on there out there that are two hours long and people love them. So, hey, I, just I do love you guys. Podcasts. Yeah. Same. Right. Yeah, you can just pick it up anytime you want. Who needs to listen to yeah. it all in one go? Digest it. Eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? Yep. All right, Vince, thank you so much. Um, and we will, everybody go follow him on Twitter. Check out Golteca uh, because he's always putting out the best content. Thanks again. Wow, Josh. Initial thoughts after the Vince LaRosa truth bombs that he just dropped on us in that interview. I'm a bit, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I think after all the back and forth that we've had, whether it's over Twitter, you know, with with him, you know, it's always been good. You know, like we've always respected his approach and look at the game because of how, you know, 
we, you know, I think it, it was from that analytical analytical look. It's a, um, you know, it's it's that attention to detail that I think, you know, that we appreciated. But to now just have him peel back those layers and really just give us that insight into, you know, some of these questions we've had. Like often we were we always had that back and forth talking. Is this Pep? Is this, you know, is this Jurgen Klopp? Is this, you know, how how is Bob really playing it? But again, Vince just kind of, you know, again, just pulled pulled back that cover and said, hey, this is what it's it. This is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will admit that I was a bit jealous when he's talking about, you know, when I'm talking to Bob and I'm asking him these questions and it's like, man, I want to do that. You know, I like I want to I want to sit with Bob and pick his brain on all these different things. Uh, And like you said, you know, we oftentimes and I think especially this year, uh, this season, we've been asking like, are they Liverpool or are they Man City? Like, what are they trying to do? Are the fullbacks staying in? Are they overlapping? Like, what is this midfield supposed to be? What is the 10 in this in this system supposed to be? And now I feel like I'm not going crazy anymore because the answer is both, right? <laughs> Bob's yeah. trying to have it all. Um, and like I said during the interview with Vince, I, I, I actually appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm glad that Bob is willing to take these kind of risks and create his own thing. That it's not just, you know, well, we're going to be we're going to be the Liverpool of Los Angeles, the Liverpool of MLS, because we're no MLS team is ever going to be that because we don't have Trent Alexander Arnold and, and all these fantastic players that they do. We, the best we can do is kind of imitate it with what we've got. Right. Um, so I, I mean, I love that. I love that Bob's willing to keep learning uh, even after he's been coaching for so long and that he's willing to um, kind of mesh two different styles together to create his own thing. I, that is amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what it looks like going forward. Cause I think we sometimes see um, some of the, the, le- the learning curve that comes along with trying to play that way, especially with the lead that we're in. But at the same time, like I said, it better to forge your own style, right. Than to, you know, than to, fail copying someone else's you know because ultimately you know we don't you know we don't have Trent Alexander Arnold we don't have Kevin De Bruyne so to try and emulate those things like you were saying is like somewhat futile to a certain degree but to now try and find something that is similar because you respect the way that they approach it and the way they think about it and now craft something of your own that is somewhat of a hybrid that works for you in in this particular league with the way that the league is set up yeah it's just something to behold right and like I said I'm I think what Vince said earlier was right on point where he said, you know, LAFC is the team to watch. They're the team that that draws eyes, and it's specifically because mm-hmm. of that, right? It's like it's getting. There's no, you know, we're not just here to park the bus. We're not here to just do that. It's, you know, we're going. You know, we're going to do what we got to do. Yeah, I one other thing that um, along those lines that he brought up was the idea of you, you can't look at the way LAFC attacks or the way LAFC defends traditionally, right? We're not going to get into the, like, I think he said, I think he called him a half court set, right? We're not going to just sit in a four, four, two low block and say, all right, now it's your turn to attack. And then we're going to, uh, Diego Simeone, you on, on the counter, right? That's not, that's not what we're doing. Uh, more in line, I think two episodes ago, maybe it was when we talked about Johan Cruyff, right? Where the, the, keeper is the first attacker and the mm-hmm. striker is the first defender uh his idea of total football right so you defend from the front and you attack from the back 
um, it's cool to hear him say those things because <laughs> one, it validates us, right? It makes us think that, okay, well maybe we are on the right track and we're not stupid after all. Um, but uh, it also helps it. It helps to understand the decisions that you see being made on the field in real time. So when, when he does bring on Mohamed El Munir, it's not just an attacking substitute when he comes in at the left wing, it's to help defend further up the pitch as well. Right. All these, all these little things that he does make sense. When Latif is playing it right back, it's not just about him defending. It's about what he brings offensively as well, getting forward. Um, so, I mean, man, I'm, as you can tell, a little bit amped up after that interview with Vince. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, it, it was the inside I think that we've always wanted and, you know, I'm glad we got it, you know, but I think it also changes our thought process and thinking when we were, you know, initially this podcast was planned to be, you know, our, our in-depth analysis and breakdown of the, of that last Portland game. But now it, to a certain degree, it almost throws off a little bit of my thinking process because now I'm like going back to thinking like, man, now do I have to go back and look at it a little bit differently and think about yeah, what yeah. what they were doing in those specific situations? And, you know, you almost want to look at it with a different eye, which is why I've always appreciated, you know, the insight that Vince had given previously when, you know, when he did drop his little tidbits with Bob and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, something that he mentioned during that interview also was like, we asked him in the, in, you know, the lightning round of questions, how long before Janelle is the starter? And he talked about uh, how Janelle is much more of a six, which I think is something that we've always agreed with. Uh, and we've stated from the, like, from the time I, I wrote the scouting report on him for the banknote, right? Where uh, mm-hmm. he was, he, he played six with, who was it? Montevideo Wanderers, I think. Um, and his, his, not inability to counterpress, but probably, you know, he doesn't quite understand the system yet. So he doesn't know all the triggers. He doesn't, you know, he's just not comfortable there. And I think you do see that in the Portland match where there's times where he's just not, he's not closing down a defender early enough and he's making a harder run than he probably would have had to. Um, but all those little things that we've talked about for the past couple of weeks about, about Poncho, his, his ability, his calmness on the ball, uh, his, the quality of his passes, the quality of, of his decision-making, it's all there. Uh, and the other thing that Vince mentioned was, you know, probably when Atuesta is sold is when he's going to be, uh, when he's going to be the starter because they, the club does see him as a six. So um, I do, I do look at the Portland match a little bit differently. And again, kind of cons- confirming some of my own biases after, uh, after listening to Vince. Is there anything specifically from that match that you wanted to tackle here? I mean, I think when you look at, you know, I think the one of the things, like obviously in regards to Brian Rodriguez is kind of the first one because I think that was the talking point for a lot of fans after the game, like where's the end product, that so on and so forth. And I think Vince definitely provided a little more insight as to, you know, what <clears throat> what are the things that we know that he, you know, that the team wants him to develop. What what are the expectations of what he's going to do? Because obviously, after seeing him play with Uruguay, there's an expectation. After seeing him you know, in the preseason do something, there's an expectation. So on and so forth. And obviously, it hasn't quite come into fruition. At least, and you know, especially when you're filling the boots of Carlos Vela on that right hand side, there is going to be a high level there. But I think that changes how I look at things. But at the same time, you know, like one of the things that he still, 
did super consistent is just his delivery has been on point um, throughout the tournament, whether it's been that weighted ball through the middle um, on the pass to Rossi, you see it in the Galaxy game quite a bit, or on the second goal from K. I think he's the one that delivers the the cross on the on the corner, correct? Yeah, yeah, he's the one. Um, yeah, I, it, he he is not a finished product, and again, he's twenty. He's he's not even twenty. He's nineteen. Um, but like Vince mentioned, Vince mentioned his quality, right? You can see it when he plays. Uh, but it's just going to take some time, and there there is time for a nineteen year old to develop. It's okay; he's going to get there. Um, and the other the other point is, again, he's filling in on the right wing where Carlos Vela normal, normally plays, and where you're talking about a right footed winger there. So he's he's almost being asked to play a more traditional role. You know, get the ball in uh, behind the defense and whip in across. Uh, and if he's cutting in, he's not on his dominant foot anymore. Um, so he's not going to, he's not going to look as good as Vela, obviously, because he's not one, he's not to Vela's level yet. And he's, he's going to be a different style of winger on that, on that right-hand side. So you mentioned the corner. I, I do feel like we owe this, this analysis, uh, Lionel Hutz from at cheap seat, uh, at from cheap seat. Sorry. Um, he asked for a breakdown of the corner where, where K scored. Uh, and so I went back and watched that pretty closely to see what, what led to it. I, and after watching it, I don't know that I've seen a better set piece goal that hasn't gone direct from LAFC. I mean, we've seen plenty, we've seen Vela put him in plenty of times. Atuesta's put him in a couple of times. Simon had those screamers in year one that he would, that he would drop on people. Uh, but this was, a simple, like a simply orchestrated corner kick with inch perfect delivery from, from Raito. So the way LAFC sets up on this is you have Janela, Segura and Blackman in a line with Mark Anthony K in that, in that order. Mm. And because Portland's essentially playing man, you know, each of those guys is man marked. They have one defender on the near post who is, playing some kind of zone, right? So if the ball comes to him, then, or if the ball's in his zone, he's going to go win it. And then you have BWP right next to Steve Clark, and he's got another defender on him. So you have, what? what is that, six, six defenders from Portland plus the keeper in the area. Um, and as soon as Raito takes his approach, you see all three of Janela, Sigur, and Blackman crash the near post. So they vacate the space at the penalty at the penalty spot and they take their defenders with them. And Mark Anthony K makes the same, like almost as if he were posted up in, in the key on a basketball court. Right. So he, uh, he spins away from the ball and breaks free of, uh, I don't remember who it was, Bill Tui Loma maybe. And because K makes such a good move, he's wide open on the back post. Tui Loma is not able to catch up. And the other thing that happens is BWP steps out towards the penalty spot. I think he makes it to like the six before the ball arrives. Um, so what was a very congested area is now wide open because of where LAFC have dragged all the runners. Uh, and because Mark Anthony K makes a good move, he's wide open on the back post, which again, Raito drops an inch perfect pass right onto his head. And it's the easiest finish you could imagine, right? Just, get your forehead aimed in the right direction, 
no need for extra power right into the back of the net. Um, so that was, that was great to see. We, ha- we aren't always strong on corner kicks, um, but it was, it was good to see one go in like that. So I don't know if you saw anything else on that one, but. I mean, I think he must have been taking lessons from BWP in training because he throws that quick little feint to move in the same direction as those other three guys prior to hitting that spin. And that's oh, I didn't even see create, that. Good catch. I think that's what creates a little bit of that separation, right? It's just that one step, and then he hits the, the hard spin, which now seals off the guy. And yeah. so now if if the defender is going to get to that ball, he's going to have to go through him. You know, through Mac, and then at that point, it's just about putting, you know, making contact and putting it where in the back of the net. So the service was where it needed to be. The initial move creates the separation, and then again, the finish was, you know, again was picture perfect. So, yeah, yeah. Um, sticking with Mark Anthony K. Shortly after this uh, corner kick, uh, Francisco Janelle is dribbling the ball kind of in like zone the zone 14 area right outside the the opponent's penalty area and is obliterated uh with a tackle and he i mean he draws the oh, you know what he doesn't draw a foul there it's no call but he gets obliterated the ball squirts out to like the left wing back area uh for Portland and K immediately comes over and pays Andy Polo for what Diego Chara, I think it was Diego Chara that, that laid the hit on, on Pancho. I mean, you're talking like 20 seconds. K sees this happen to Pancho and then immediately goes and takes out Andy Polo. And it was actually a clean tackle. No call on that one either. Uh, so I think that's where you start to see things ratchet up. And then like two minutes later, Sebastian Blanco uh, leaves a late challenge on, on K. And that's where you see Blanco start to get heated uh, with K and they have words, which would have been the most hilarious fight ever to watch Sebastian Blanco and Mark Anthony K who's a giant right against this small little like five, five Argentinian dude. Yeah, it's uh, the, and then, you stick your hand out and then he's swinging while you're just, yeah, he swings underneath. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, you can tell he's in his head for the rest of the game because then uh, Blanco tries to take a free kick quickly and Rossi's standing there waiting to be told to, to back off 10 yards and Blanco leaves an incredibly late challenge on Diego Palacios, who ends up on the end of that uh, of the ball as it kind of deflects off of Diego Rossi. And Blanco ends up earning the yellow card. Now, I bring all this up because Mark Anthony K is out there wearing the captain's armband, right? And you see him showing up for his guys, getting into the scrums, paying back bad tackles. Um, and one thing we've seen from LAFC is if you hack at them, Oftentimes we don't always have an answer, right? Dio and K are typically the first ones in there, but I feel like K has taken that to a new level this year. Uh, maybe it's him being more confident in year three now where he feels like he knows where those boundaries are. Uh, he feels more confident in his own game that he can go in and, uh, and you know, start talking a little, even a little more trash to people and, and leaving a little something on tackles. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, you know, he, there's a reason why they gave him, you know, the captaincy, and I think that's probably it, right? He's going to be that guy that, that jumps in here. But now that he has a little bit more sway to talk to the officials and so on and so forth, I think that's now where you see him empowered to be a little bit more outspoken, you know, in regards to, you know, to what's going on on the field. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's 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 
again, to me, it's why he's, you know, our current skipper for this tournament and, you know, why he, why he, you know, you can see again, the development, not just as a, as a football player, but, you know, as a, as a leader and so on and so forth, you know, said, it's great to see. Yeah. Hopefully brings that same intensity on Monday against the Sounders. Um, is that game at seven thirty again? Eight o'clock? I don't remember. Josh. I think Do you so. Remember? I think it's seven thirty. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Well, uh, Vince talked, you know, at a considerable amount about Seattle and what we could look forward to. What the what he thought the starting eleven was uh, going to be. I I think it's a good idea to put Yakovich in there. I wouldn't be surprised if giving Yakovich rest was in preparation for whatever knockout round game was going to happen. Um. We saw blessing out of position is another thing uh, Vince talked about a handful of times. He's just, you know, he's, he's not a natural right back. So he's not going to know what position to be in all the time. Um, So it's probably best to put Blackman out there again, especially with Jordan Morris there, as Vince mentioned. Uh, Anything else about Seattle before we get out of here? No, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just that understanding of obviously you're going to go with what you're most comfortable with. Um, you know, like um, Yakovich has played, uh, you know, pretty solidly throughout the tournament. Obviously, Vince noted, you know, like there are limitations to his game, but at the same time, speed is not the one the one thing that we should be, you know, we're going to be hypercritical about in that sense. Yeah. But obviously, yeah. I think the big thing is just kind of under, um, understanding like, okay, that we know exactly what's going to Seattle's going to do at this point. The question is, okay, given the situation with what we know they're going to do, how does LAC adjust? How do they kind of move forward? Who becomes the fulcrum of the offense? Or because there is not that same fulcrum in terms of having Carlos Vela being there, um, are we going to be able to now have a little bit more leeway and so on? So, you know, are are they going to change? Are they going to change things up a little bit? Because again, the, you don't. There, we're not running things through a single person the way that we would if if Carlos was there. Right, right. All right. So we will be back to talk to you guys after the Seattle match. Um, if you have questions during that match, please tweet at us. We'll we'll uh, read them on the air here. And if you have questions about what to what to look for in the rewatch, again, please send them our way, and we will definitely do that. Um, you can send those to at counterpress underscore on Twitter. You can send them to me at Kirk Kinsey or Josh. LAFC Josh on Twitter. There you have it. Thanks again to Vince LaRosa uh, for coming on the show. There's an incredible interview. Uh, I feel like I leveled up a couple different levels in my, in my ability to analyze the game just by listening to that man. So uh, hashtag hire Vince, go find him on any platform uh, that he's on. He talked about Golteca. follow him on Twitter. Um, and we will talk to you all tomorrow night.